Thank you for your flexibility. That's a wonderful uh, virtue in today's day and age. As you know, the unfolding of our Great Commission program here at the church is evolving according to the circumstances which change every day. The message remains the same. The methodology, well, it's just something we have to be flexible about. So this is our first time meeting in here, and we'll see how it goes, and we'll evaluate, and we'll try to accommodate folks in the most comfortable way possible in the days ahead. For now, it's just great to be together. Wonderful to see your faces and be together. Uh, it's legal here, apparently, in Houston, though that's not the case in California. Isn't that interesting? We're going to talk about this topic over the next few Wednesday nights, government. What does the Bible say? The state government in California, for instance, has decided that at places like Grace Community Church, pastored by the great John MacArthur, it is not acceptable for them to do what we're doing right here in the great state of Texas. You cannot assemble together there. And penalties are being levied upon them, which leads to the question, at what point does a good Christian citizen make a decision to obey God rather than man? Is it ever acceptable to disobey the government to whom we are really generally to submit? Well, those are the things we're going to be discussing in the weeks ahead. It's an important topic. Many of us are a little disturbed about government, not just ours, but worldwide. Many of the policies and uh, philosophies of government is distressing to us. But that wasn't the case with this particular man who I'm going to read to you about. He found humor in one of the uh, oh inconsistent governmental policies and actually wrote a letter about it, a somewhat humorous letter, to the Secretary of Agriculture, of the United States. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it's funny, so let's not let truth get in the way. It, <laughs> so let me read this to you. Dear sir, uh, my friend received a check for $1,000 from the government for not raising hogs. So I want to go into the not raising hogs business next year. What I want to know is, in your opinion, what's the best kind of farm not to raise hogs on? And what's the best breed of hogs not to raise? I want to be sure that I approach this endeavor in keeping with all government policies. As I see it, the hardest part of not raising hogs program is keeping an accurate inventory of how many hogs I have not raised. <laughs> My friend is very joyful about the future of the business. He's been raising, he has been raising hogs for 20 years or so, and the best he's ever made on them was uh, $422.90 in 1968. Until this year when he got your check for $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs. If I get $1,000 for not raising 50 hogs, then would I get $2,000 for not raising 100 hogs? I plan to operate on a small scale at first, holding myself to about 4,000 hogs not raised the first year, which would bring in about $80,000, and then I can afford an airplane. Now, another thing. These hogs I will not raise will not eat 100,000 bushels of corn. I understand that the government also pays people not to raise corn and wheat. 
Would I qualify for payments for not raising these crops, not to feed my hogs that I will not be raising? I want to get started as soon as possible, as this seems to be a good time of the year for the not raising hogs and not planting crops business. Also, I'm giving serious consideration to the not milking cows business, and any information you would have on this endeavor would be greatly appreciated. In view of the fact that I will be totally unemployed, I will be filing for unemployment and food stamps, and was wondering how long that process takes. Patriotically yours, and then he signed his name. A humorous look at goofball governmental policies. So uh, we're going to look at government. In fact, uh, we're going to try to answer two questions tonight and others in the weeks ahead. And so this is one of the questions we're going to examine tonight. Government, whose idea is it? Who came up with the Who do you think came up with the idea? Well, God did. You're absolutely right. That's not a matter of opinion. Scripture is pretty clear about it, and I'll refer you to some in just a second. First, let me mention this. In the last week of the Lord's life, he suffered great humiliation and abuse. He was spat upon, had a crown of thorns in mockery, impaled upon his head, and all the rest. He suffered a series of trials in addition all this was under the authority of both the Jewish religious leadership and the Roman political leadership. And so you've heard of people like Annas and Caiaphas, who were part of the Jewish religious establishment. You've heard about Pontius Pilate, who was the representative of Roman government in the land. At one point, Pontius Pilate, a mere creature, had the goal to have the creator enfleshed, even whipped and all this was under the authority of the then government in the Holy Land. The Lord himself treated with mockery and great cruelty under the auspices of the government established in the land. Now that being a context, we read this in John chapter 19 verse 9. And he, that's Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he entered into the praetorium, that was the seat of government in Jerusalem. Uh, he did this again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Some wonder, why was the Lord silent? Well, uh, for one reason, he did so in fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 53, I commend it to your reading. And for another reason of a very logical, practical kind, why continue to tell people what you done already told them and they're not listening to? And so the Lord didn't waste words, but was silent. And so we read in the next verse, Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you know, do you not know that I have authority? I have authority to release you, and I have authority. That's what he's saying. I have authority to crucify you. So he's laying claim to his bona fide rank as the governor uh, uh, assigned to that particular district of Jerusalem at the time. And so that's what he's saying rather obnoxiously. I have authority to do all this, even to the point of uh, crucifying you and this is what happens next. The Lord answered and said to him, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. 
So we see, even under those horrifically um, unjustifiable circumstances, the Lord is reminding Pilate that his governmental authority is not intrinsic nor inherent to him. He would have no authority, but that it was bestowed from on high. So that, you see, confirms the answer you gave, whose idea is government. God came up with the idea. That's whose idea it is. In fact, a key verse of scripture also in the New Testament makes this clear. Here it is, Romans 13, 1, which we will be looking at a lot in the weeks to come. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? Well, there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So there you see the idea of government. It's not man-made. It's divine in its origination. Now, I know all kinds of questions come into your mind, like, what about the government of Hitler or Stalin? Well, forget about that. What about the government existing when Paul wrote this verse in Romans 13? Do you know who the Roman emperor was at the time? It was uh, Nero. And what do you, do you know anything about him? Throw out some adjectives to describe him. Yeah, he was nuts. That's for sure. What else you know about him? Yeah, he, he fiddled. You, you think, well, because that's good. Thank you for doing that. What do you think, David? David is saying he burned people on stakes, tar and pitch and used them as, um, to illuminate the night, that kind of thing. And uh, the, the, the demographic he targeted in particular would be who? Christians. So this particular uh, explanatory word on where government, even Nero's government, came from, my goodness, that would have been a tough pill to swallow, wouldn't you? If you were a Christian living in that, well, there were others. There was Caligula and Caiaphas and all these people. Yes, sir. So this is great. I'm really quite amazed that we've been here already for six and a half minutes. And I really, the restraint you've exercised is really great. Oh, you don't want to know. Okay, so the question is, uh, isn't Nancy Pelosi, what'd you say, a distant relative of Nero? <laughs> a descendant of Nero. There you go. That's right. That is a very hairy idea. You get where I'm going? Yeah, because of the situation. That is just, that is just. Listen, the early church was um, compelled to accept Romans 13.1 under horrifically dire circumstances imposed upon them by the then existing government. Could it be that this God, who's the author of government, could it be that he would somehow find a way to use even sinful governments to do his will? Folks, the answer must be yes if you believe in the sovereignty of Almighty God. Tough for us to accept, but it's true. In fact, let me show you this. Acts chapter 4, 27, 28. For truly in this city... 
Do you know what city it's talking about? I didn't give you much time to figure it out. See if you can figure it out. What city? It's Jerusalem. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both. Here's the government, folks. Herod and Pontius Pilate, not just them, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever. Now, here's the kicker. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Wow. So you have this grouping of pretty anti-God, stiff-necked, rebellious, evil people, all aligned against the very Son of God, His only begotten Son, with whom the Father is well pleased. And we see this explanatory statement. They couldn't do that unless this was in keeping with the Sovereign exercise of God's ultimate will. They did all this, it says, they did whatever. Ultimately, sovereign God's hand and purpose predestined to occur. Now, that's a really tough concept, uh, but it's true. Now, does this, therefore, say that God approves of everything governments do? Uh, The answer, I hope, Uh, you're willing to offer is absolutely not. In fact, a scripture offers many examples of God holding accountable ungodly governmental leaders. For instance, have you heard of a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember that guy? In Daniel chapter 4, something happened. He had a dream, and his... um, diviners, magicians, and occult practitioners could not properly interpret the dream. But there's the Hebrew prisoner, Daniel, who, based on the sovereignty of God, was given the capacity to interpret the king's dream, and he did. And it had to do with upcoming severe divine discipline to be imposed upon him until he repented and recognize Almighty God as the Most High ruler over all. Just one example of how God, who though he authored governments, will hold ungodly governmental leaders quite responsible for their ungodly policies and decision. So that government is God's idea in no way indicates he approves of all that governments do. Do you think God uh, approves of abortion? But it is governmentally legal to participate in the activity. Do you think God is pleased? He's the giver of life, each one of which is created in his own image. So there's kind of an inherent value to the life that has nothing to do with its age or quality of life. There's like an inherent sanctity of life because the source of life is the giver of life. Uh, Folks, I don't know if you knew this, but there's an election coming up. Have you heard anything about it? It's like a big one, I think, 47 days from now. And boy, it can't come soon enough for crying out loud. I want to get back to American Idol and things of, (laughs) you know, import. Um, You are free as a Christian And as an American, obviously, to vote for whom you choose. 
I just find it a little hard to see how a mature Bible-believing Christian can't even see that singular issue to be a deciding factor. Just that one. Now vote for who you want to. I didn't tell you who to vote for. Oh, really? Maybe you should change your seat. No, no, no. Are you really? Is the microphone not working in that direction? Okay. I'll try to look. What I try to do is I try to stay away from the left. Um, and so, uh, so, so here's the point. Folks, there comes a time, even though I hope you're persuaded that God is the author of government, even though you might be persuaded of that, there comes a time when a good Christian citizen has to make a decision if edicts are in conflict, that of man versus that of God. You must obey God rather than man. So we're going to spend time, not tonight, but in subsequent Wednesday nights, talking at length specifically about the issue of civil disobedience. Is there ever a time when a, a serious-minded, a Christian citizen is required to say no, respectively, uh, respectfully to the government? Uh, the answer is yes, and I think I can prove that point to you from Scripture in subsequent uh, weeks. For now, however, uh, we've made a, an attempt to answer the first question, uh, this, whose idea is, oh, really? Let's see. Here we go. Whose idea is government? And now in the remainder of our time, I'd like to address this one. What does the government owe us? These are the two questions we're looking at tonight. So to answer this question, let me invite your attention to this verse of Scripture. Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, this is being addressed to believers. Don't do this. Well, what's the option? Leave room for the wrath of God. These are the options. When wronged, offended, or treated unjustly, you have options. You can seek to be your own justice maker, or you can get out of the way and let your father handle it. Those are the options right here. Leave room for the wrath of God. Why? Because it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay. So that's what the text says. But what do you do? Someone has perpetrated quite an injustice upon you. You see the prohibition uh, with regard to you taking your own revenge. What is the option that God has provided? Well, I'll read it to you. Again, Romans 13, verse 3. Rulers, governmental rulers, are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. And then this, in verse 4 of that chapter, for it, government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it, the government, doesn't bear the sword. That's the ultimate authority to exact the ultimate penalty. It doesn't bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger. The government is an avenger who brings wrath 
on the one who practices evil. God says to those whom he loves, the beloved, his sons and daughters, don't take your own revenge. Leave it up to me. And then God further expands upon this and says to us, and one of the means I will use to get revenge for you is duly appointed government. In fact, God says, I've given government the power of the sword, meaning the ultimate authority even to evoke, invoke capital punishment, murder, excuse me, uh, execution of murderers and, and the like. That's what it's saying. So one of the things government owes us, can you see it implied, is to protect us from evildoers and to take appropriate action on those who perpetrate evil on other citizens so that those citizens are not required to do so on their own. In other words, one of the premier responsibilities of the government is to apply the rule of law and enforce it when it is violated. What does the government owe a Christian? What does the government owe any citizen? Well, something called justice. That's what the government owes us. And this point is made abundantly clear in another key passage of scripture with regard to government. Take a look here. First Peter. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Does that include the IRS? Yeah, it does. To every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of, see it? For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Now we're seeing in this verse, these two verses, the two key responsibilities of government, ones that we have every right to expect from government. It's two things. One is punishment, and the second is praise. Punishment of those who violate the rule of law, those evildoers in society, are supposed to be restrained by the government so that those who wish to live in society peacefully are able to do it. They are not responsible for taking their own revenge. God said, don't do it. Leave it to government. That's one responsibility. The second is to offer praise for those citizens who do right. If there are citizens in society who are contributing well to the welfare of society, the government in such fashion should recognize and reward them. Why? If the individual citizen is doing good, then that's an activity the government doesn't have to be engaged in. So if citizens, if the church took care of those who are impoverished and in need of food, clothing, and shelter, then we would not need whole government departments who bureaucratically uh, uh, exert all kinds of taxation upon us in order to do those things individual citizens are supposed to do. When individual citizens do that, then the government doesn't have to keep increasing and building up itself. When citizens start looking to the government for entitlements, when citizens start taking care of each other, and especially when the church does this, then the government could be pared down. It doesn't have to be a large, ever-increasing, growing bureaucracy. And by the way, that inclination is not uh, 
uh, subject to any one political party, no matter who seems to be in administration, Republican or Democrat, the government still keeps growing for crying out loud. There's new bureaus and new organizations all the time. So when you have citizens doing that, which contributes to the well-being of society, then the government does not have to keep building up itself. Instead, it can reward and praise those who are doing good. So two functions of government, punishment and praise. That's what the government owes its citizenry. So to make it clear, Government's purpose is to punish evil and promote good. That is, those are the key responsibilities of government, according to the passage we just looked at, to punish evil and promote good. Why has God chosen to establish government? What's the point? Why did God do it? Here's the reason why he did. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. But for our sin nature, which if left unrestrained, would lead to chaos and upheaval in society, there would be no need for government. If we were governable without external restraint, like law enforcement, which interestingly is being challenged on many fronts today, that's crazy to me. That's, you know, by the way, uh, law enforcement is a part of government. Uh, government is God's idea. That means law enforcement, those who enforce the law, those are part of God's idea. When I speak to police officers, my son of whom is one, I tell them, do you know you're engaged in a sacred profession? Because government is God's idea. You're an agent of government. You're engaged in a very honorable, honorable calling, which can be done dishonorably. Don't do it. Don't shame the badge, as some have done. But inherently, uh, that line of defense to protect the citizenry is one of the key things government owes us. Protect those citizens who wish to live peaceably from the unbridled sin nature of those who wish to take from them what are their unalienable rights. In fact, that's a phrase we can attribute to Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. Here's what he said. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain, here's the word, unalienable. That means you can't forfeit it. You can't take it away. You can't negotiate. That, that is what you got. They're endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. And then among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, here's the point, governments are instituted among men. So, you see, Thomas Jefferson got it. There's some stuff he didn't get, but he got this. He saw that one of the key roles of government is to protect the unalienable rights of his citizens. And for this reason, governments have been instituted among men. Because if we are left to ourselves without any enforcement of the law and restraint, well, then society is going to be in big trouble. Uh, there was a fellow named uh, Thomas Hobbes. He wrote a 
kind of a classic piece called Leviathan in the 17th century. He made it clear. He says governments are what keep people in check. In fact, just to show you our increasingly unbridled sin nature, we're seeing a proliferation of laws. There are more laws in our land than in any time in human history. That just tells me we need more and more restraint. We're getting out of control. We finished the study, yeah, when we used to be in the big room. We fin- <laughs> we fin- before we were demoted to the garage. <laughs> we finished the study in Judges. Perhaps you were there. It's a very painful book to read because the theme of Judges is found quite clearly in the very last verse. In those days, there was no king, no government in Israel, no restraining influence. Everyone did what was right. Doesn't say everyone did what was wrong. Each person became the measure of what's right or wrong. That's what we have today. People say, well, that may be right for you, but not for me. It's called the death of absolutes. There's no longer any absolute standards of what's right and wrong. Don't tell me I've just done wrong. It may be wrong for you, but not for me. So in that day, just like in modern day America, there was no external restraint, no governmental authority. And so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Therefore, God became, uh, a government became necessary to restrain human sin. So God appointed judges, hence the name of that book. They were flawed individuals for crying out loud. But God appointed them until came, kings came back into vogue because Israel needed some external restraint lest their inherent sin nature destroy society. Now, in biblical history, when there has been no government or government that is ineffective in exercising and Uh, enforcing the rule of law, you have something called this. Have you heard this term before? That's what you got. Please welcome yourself to modern-day America. That's anarchy. My wife's family are from Oregon. It's up in flames now. They are running for cover. I just heard that Portland's air quality is the worst in the entire world right now because of the ash. I just heard when the ash settles on your car, if you get your garden hose to wipe it off, big mistake. Because water plus ash plus metal equals lye. And it's chewing up the metal. So you've got to wash it all down with soap. You know, all this mess that's going on, there's already been loss of life. I read today about a 13-year-old boy who succumbed uh, to the fire with his dog on his lap at the time. Just the image is grievous. And I'm told that it's all due to arson. Those, that's anarchy, folks. Please tell me what the doggone point is. What point are those people trying to prove? I'll tell you the point. Anarchy, and what is anarchy? Here it is. A state of disorder due to absence or non-recognition of authority. That's why God established government, to restrain the sinful inclinations which you and I have been born with. We are not inherently good. I don't know if you knew that. Only God is by nature good. We can do sporadic good things, but that doesn't come from our inherent good nature. What comes from our inherent sinful nature is sin, and we crave the absence of submission to authority. Shakespeare put in the mouth of one of his characters 
characters this word, this phrase, oh, vile submission. Don't fence me in, we'll say in Texas. Folks, we don't like restraint from the government or any other authorities, and it is being challenged like crazy now. And what are you getting? You get America up in flames. That's what you get. There were times in biblical history when anarchy was the order of the day, and it never ended well. In fact, when anarchy rules a culture, that culture becomes easy uh, prey for a more uh, organized enemy and foe to assault it. I'm afraid we're in the most vulnerable state in America we have ever been in before because God's authority through government is being challenged. So, uh, therefore, God graciously has sought to choose and use government as a tool to uphold order and justice and the rule of law, which we sinners, every one of us, are prone to violate. So we live in a fallen world, and if our sinful inclinations go unchecked, we will see chaos and anarchy And welcome to modern-day America. Therefore, God established government to restrain our sinful inclinations and to secure peace for those citizens wishing to live in peace. That's why we ought to heed Paul's uh, words to Timothy in his letter to him. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on whose behalf? All men. For kings and all who are in authority. Kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Folks, what, you should, what should you do about the situation we're in? You, you ought to pray. And these are, that's every form of prayer imaginable. You, do, you, you beseech God in, in, in entreaties and prayers and petitions. Th- call it what you want. But you ought to be, this is, the, this is the unique option bequeathed to we Christians alone. We can charge into the throne room of grace just as we are. We could beseech our Father to so control things, to so appoint government leaders, so that we who wish to live peacefully can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So, uh, folks, don't misunderstand. The government is not the remedy for sin, but it is ordained by God as a restrainer of sin. That's the purpose of government. So government owes its citizens justice. And justice simply means this. It means the government must give to each citizen what each citizen deserves. Some citizens deserve praise for doing good. Other uh, citizens deserve punishment for doing evil. Those are the two primary purposes of government. Notice, I didn't bring up Social Security, Medicare, welfare, or food stamps. Interestingly, though those are not bad things, don't misunderstand, they're not inherently bad. You cannot find in Scripture that, that though those activities are permitted by government, that is not the essential purpose of government. Now, next week, if we get to next week, uh, we'll talk about this in more detail. Uh, Here we're talking about what the government owes us. Next week we'll talk about what the government doesn't, what the government uh, doesn't owe us. I don't think the government owes us the entitlements we are demanding increasingly of it. 
I don't see that in scripture at all. Now, l- let me call your attention to this verse once again. Romans 13, uh, 4. For it, the government, is a, here's what I want you to see here. It is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what's evil, be afraid. For it doesn't bear the sword for nothing. It is, look a second time in one verse. It is a minister of God. Specifically, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. You may be interested to know that the word there for minister is the word from which we get the word deacon. (laughs) In other words, the essential role of government, which is given in this verse, is to be a deacon (laughs) in the hand of Almighty God. Government is subservient to and to serve the redemptive purposes of Almighty God. That is a compliment to to, to all deacons, by the way. This is the respectable role and responsibility that God has bequeathed uh, uh, to government. But what about cruel, evil, abusive, and ungodly governments? Do they serve the purposes of God? Yes, it does, Al. I tell you, I gag on it when I say yes, but I know the answer is yes because of what it says in Romans 13.1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, this is a tough pill to swallow, a little hard to accept, and yet in the sovereignty of God, there has never been in existence in human history a government that's come into power except through the permission and ordination of of almighty God. There is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. That includes the governments of Caligula and Claudius and Nero and Hitler and Stalin and Idi Amin and on and on and on. Yes, indeed. Nothing happens in human government. No government can exist without the sovereign permission of almighty God. But does this mean, once again, that God approves of the specific policies of government? Absolutely not. It only means that inherently government is not an evil to be avoided. Inherently, it's a good thing. It's a provision of God to do the things we mentioned. On the other hand, when government oversteps its ground and becomes oppressive, unjust, and abusive, good night. Look out. If you don't think God isn't going to judge that government. You're not a good student of human history. But why would God allow such grotesquely evil governments, the likes of which history has revealed to us? I'll tell you why. Couldn't it be an act of God's judgment against that society? That surely was the case with ancient Israel. God said, if you rebel against me, I'll raise up cruel tyrants to destroy you. No, no, to discipline you and bring you to a point of repentance. Welcome to modern day America, in my opinion. Do you think God is behind all the crazy things we're seeing? Well, sure. When is, it, when is God not sovereign? By definition, he means ultimately in control. Secondly, when is God not good? If he's good and if he's sovereign, there's no capacity for any government to operate independent of God's sovereign will. Yes, he can use even the most grotesquely evil government to accomplish his purposes. You know what's happening in our day, I hope, in the lives of Christians? 
I hope we're looking more to governance by Almighty God, Jesus, the King of Kings. He's the only trustworthy one. He's the only one with purity of motive. He's the only one who has the strength to deal with the mess we've gotten ourselves into. The best of our politicians recognize the issues and seem to have pretty lame solutions to it. Folks, if you think the primary threat to our being today is environmental pollution, you are at best a naive person. Doggone it. What are you talking about? The biggest threat to society today is you and me and what dwells within us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No politician who misdiagnoses the situation can come up with a proper solution to it. Only King Jesus could. I hope you as a believer oppressed by all that's going on are running to Jesus like never before. Boy, I love this song, Turn Your Eyes. It's my favorite upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. What happens? The things of earth, they grow, it's strange. They grow strangely dim. How? In the light of his glory and grace. As part of our series, Lord willing, we'll talk about government and what it will be like in a future day when the king of kings sits on a throne from Jerusalem. What will government look like then? So, uh, folks, thanks for your attention for tonight. We looked at two questions. Whose idea is government? God's. Second question, what does government owe us? One, praise those who do good. Two, punish those who do evil. Next week, we will address this question. What does the government not owe us? Interestingly, today... To be elected, you have to find out what the voting constituency is demanding you to deliver, and you base your campaign promises on an analysis of what people are demanding you to deliver. And so government politicians of all parties are making all kinds of crazy promises. I mean, I love this idea, free tuition, and blah, 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 blah. it's really good. Who in the world is paying for that stuff? And who's going to regulate it? Well, we're just going to create more government bureaucracy and institutions. You talk about wastefulness. Do we have a right to expect those services from government? I think I'd like to prove to you next week we do not. Those are not the things government owes us. So that's what we'll talk about next week. And until then, remember... To be governed by the Lord Jesus is to be free indeed. That's what it says. To be a bondservant of Christ, to willingly submit and yield to him, that is true freedom. I hope in this day what we Christians are deriving from all the tumult and upheaval is uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this society uh, going awry out there really needs to see not Christians who go to church, Christians who are submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what they have to see. Brother, go ahead.
Look at that. Really nice. Really great. Good. Thank you, brother. Listen, God bless you. Yeah, Brother Chuck, go ahead. Yes, sir. Correct. You're so right, Chuck. Chuck, you're so right. You wouldn't have Israel. Yeah, that's a grand illustration of how God can make use even of terrible, horribly terrible uh, governmental leaders. Thank you for pointing that out. Chuck, for a Gentile, you're okay. That's my highest compliment. Listen, folks, let's bow before the Lord Jesus and we'll take leave of one another. Yes, Lord, we're bowing before you and we will not bow before any other. No, no, no. Yes, we will respect those in positions of authority over us now surely realizing there is no authority but that which you establish. On the other hand, we will bow before you. So ultimately, we're looking to you for our marching orders. And when we're asked to march to the beat of worldly drums, we're just going to have to very respectfully decline and do that which instead is pleasing to you. I think we never thought we'd be in a day as Christians in America where we'd have to maybe make that choice. But it seems to increasingly be the case. That makes us so uncomfortable because we would like to have status quo, have the world's favor and be popular. But it looks like, oh God, you're using the things of the day to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. I pray we would pass the test and reveal the legitimate and authentic presence of your spirit in us, willing at all costs to do that which you, our ultimate governor, wish for us to do oh god the problem is not outside there it might be in here for those of us are too who are too compromised lukewarm and who have been neutralized by the culture instead i pray you would refine us purify us and give us the boldness to take a stand on moral and ethical imperatives in this day which emanate from you Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your ultimate governance of the universe. And thank you for telling us the outcome of it. Victory in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.